Welcome to Reside by Sotheby's International Realty. I'm Eric Weinbrecht, your host and guide as we dive into the pages of Reside magazine to discover more about the incredible people, places, and brands featured within. Please be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to at Sotheby's Realty on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to experience incredible homes and stories from around the world. Without further delay, let's get started. All around the world, luxury developments are grabbing headlines. Today, we're focusing on downtown Miami and the Zaha Hadid designed 1000 Museum High Rise. I'm happy to welcome Louis Bergman, the project's developer, to tell us more about what will be one of Miami's most prestigious addresses. Hi, Louis. How are you, Eric? I'm doing okay. Thank you so much for for taking the time out of your your schedule to be with us here today. No problem. Let's uh, before we we start talking about the uh, the development there in Miami. Tell me a little bit about yourself. How did how did you get into this industry? Well, I'm an architect by training. Uh, I practiced architecture from or probably around the mid, mid '80s or so uh, into the late '90s. And uh, part of my architecture practice sort of um, took me in the direction of um, development, having worked with a lot of developers uh, as clients. Um, So I eventually sort of migrated out of the practice of architecture in general and got more involved directly in real estate development. And I'm sure, you know, in, in that, uh, in that industry, it's, it's taken you to a variety of places, right? So, you know, outside of the U S or typically just inside the U S no, inside the U S um, you know, as a, you know, as a architect, you know, my practice was primarily in Florida, although I was licensed in a few other States during the time that I, I practiced architecture. Uh, but most of, most of my work, uh, was in, in Florida as a developer. Uh, my work started out kind of all over Florida and then migrated into some other States within the United States. Um, but, but never outside the U S how did Miami wind up being the home for this particular project? Well, you know, <laughs> there was a, a very unique opportunity on a, um, a site, a very coveted site in downtown Miami uh, that had had not been developed while everything around it was being developed over the last, you know, call 15 years or so. And after the, the downturn in the market, um, when we saw the market starting to to come back in 2011 or so, we started looking for some interesting opportunities. And uh, this this site came up as an opportunity, um, knowing that uh, in the prior cycle, when the property owner had um, the property at one time in the past under contract or several times in the past under contract, and then none of those moving forward because of the downturn in the market, we saw an opportunity maybe to get this interesting piece of property under contract and, and potentially do something you know, very special on the site. So, you know, the, the site is, is special for sure, but you mentioned several times the market in Miami. What, what's the market like? Is, how does the market support something like this? Well, you know, Miami very typically has had historically a very robust uh, condominium market. Um, And like markets that, you know, are are robust and sought after, they tend to go through ups and downs. 
Uh, Miami's been one of these markets, and South Florida in general, where the market has gone through these sort of you know peaks and valleys and in, in, in cycles. But the market, if you kind of look at it over a long period of time, has continued to grow, um, you know, over time. So every time we, you know, reach a low. It hasn't been as low as the previous lows, and every time we seem to reach a high, it seems to be higher than a previous high. So, um, you know, overall, it's 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 been a very you know active, you know, very robust condominium market. You know, probably you know one of the most active, you know, in the United States. So, you know, it, it seems like it's a it's a a perfect time then, right? You you have uh, you have the right equation there to to make this this really special development come to life. Yeah. But, you know, even though it was the right equation, you still have to look at the fact that it's it's it becomes the right equation for everyone that's in our business, you know, in the real estate business. So what happens is you get, you know, after a period of 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 a downturn in the market, you get a lot of people coming back into the market. So what happens is you start to see, um, you know, a lot of projects being proposed, a lot of projects being being, you know, planned, a lot of projects being approved. And, you know, when you see that happening, the risk is, especially when you're dealing with, you know, high rise condominium development, which as a project itself has a relatively long cycle. You know, it's not like you identify a piece of property and, you know, two years later, you're, you know, have a completed building that you're delivering, um, you know, to, to the buyers, uh, these projects take much longer. So here, this project is a project that we kind of really started working on in the middle of 2012. And here we are in 2019, just delivering units to our, you know, our, our buyers. So having a project like that, that has such a long cycle and having a lot of other people jumping back into, to a market because the market seems to be getting active again, you know, create certain challenges in the sense that during the course of the project that you might be getting involved in, there could be another dip in the market or flattening, you know, or, or pulling back, or there could be, you know, a situation where you have too much being built too fast. Um, so, you know, in our case, what we wanted to do was we wanted to look at something that was really going to differentiate us from other projects that might be coming to market. I mean, we knew that some other people who were going to be competing in the marketplace had lots of projects that had, you know, a very, what I would call more typical, um, you know, condominium formula uh, for development in terms of the type of units that were being built, the number of units being built, the size of units being built, and who might be designing them. And that is the challenge, right? You know, being, you want to be the, the, the big fish, you know, you have this, this pool of, of competition. Um, what do you do, you know, and, and in this case, what sets, uh, your development, what, what, uh, what sets 1000 museum apart from all these other developments that are going up? Well, clear, clearly the architect, 
I mean, we were fortunate enough to be able to get ourselves at the time, one of, um, you know, the most sought after architects, uh, attracting attention for her work all around the world. And we were able to get her to, to, to take on this, this project in Miami of a building type that was unfamiliar to the architect. Um, you know, a, a, a location or market that was someplace the architect had never done work before. And, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a very unique opportunity for us to bring forth someone into the market that, you know, just hadn't been here before and would be somebody that we thought would attract a global buyer. So, you know, we found that in Zaha Hadid. And like I said, we were very fortunate to be able to get her to, you know, to undertake this project and design this building for us. Unfortunately, she didn't get to see it um, be completed. She did get to see it get started, but not not completed. And, um, you know, it was a it was a very unique opportunity. And it was definitely a differentiating factor um, from a design standpoint. The other differentiating factor for the project is we did something that was um, uh, really designed for the very top of the market in terms of in terms of price in terms of level of finish in terms of the size of the units um, we had a lot of unique factors um, there and even in the sense that while the building is on a site, this downtown site that's that's one acre, um, we're in the highest, most dense zoning in all of Miami that allows 500 units to the acre, and uh, you know very significant amount of of buildable area uh, as of right. And while we could have built 500 units and you know maybe almost a million three in gross square feet for the building. We built just 84 units, um, you know, about a million square feet that we actually built here in, in total area. And our average unit sizes are over 5,000 square feet. So a very unique project, very different for downtown uh, Miami, where the average unit size is probably closer to 11 or 1,200 square feet. So you said those those 84 units. Tell, tell me a little bit more about them. What what kind of units are they? Like, what, what are the what are layouts like? Okay, so. So we basically have three unit types in terms of category of unit. We have a half floor residence, which essentially is just that. It's There's two units per floor. Those units go completely uh, east to west in terms of flowing through the floor plan. There's a north half unit and a south half unit on the floor. That's one category of unit. The next sort of category of unit is what we call a our, our duplex townhome. Um, those units also flow through units east to west, a north unit, a south unit, two on a floor, but they're two stories, you know, duplex style unit. Those units are around 8,400 square feet. And then we have what we call our full floor 
penthouse units, which is essentially 10 floors at the top of the building. Those units are just that. They're, they're, they're full floor, 360-degree view. Um, and those units are all, you know, over 10,300 square feet. So, you know, very large units, um, you know, something that's just not doesn't exist in the downtown market and really doesn't exist very much in, in the South Florida market, unless you were going into a large, you know, single family home on one of the islands and, you know, Miami beach or Key Biscayne. So typically the, the profile of, of the, of the buyer that is attracted to um, a building like 1000 museum would be that international, you know, global buyer, uh, that owns multiple residences around the world um, uh, may make Miami one of their their homes. May have owned property here in the past, maybe not. Um, we have you know in buyers that we have over twenty different countries represented um, currently. We were very much interested in the buyer that might come here and may look at a, a large single-family home on the water. Um, we wanted to provide an option for that buyer as well as the buyer that would typically come to Miami looking for condominium uh, property. Many of the um, units that we sold here were sold to people that came to Miami to buy a house and ended up buying a, a you know a, a residence in our building um, because it essentially you know gave them a lot of amenities and a lot of of, of um, square footage that they would typically find in a house without sort of some of the drawbacks of, you know, owning a third or fourth residence in your portfolio um, and having, you know, sort of the, the level of maintenance and upkeep that comes along with, you know, a property like that and not living here full time. So this, you know, um, you know, makes an interesting alternative for that, you know, that type of, of buyer. And, you know, owning, a, you know, a piece of architecture by a world-class architect, um, you know, is another driving factor. Yeah. So you definitely have some some uh, differentiating factors there between, you know, just the the size and the uniqueness of the units, the, of course, you know, the design from, um, from Zaha Hadid. But I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the helipad. <laughs> yeah, so we're 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 also the only private residential uh, building um, in in South Florida, actually in in all of Florida that we know of, um, that has a private uh, airport on on its roof. Um, you know, to, that you can take off and land a helicopter in. Uh, you know, so that's a very unique feature. Which you know, interestingly enough, to the type of buyer that we attracted, um, you know, was was something uh, not just unique, but you know, something that you know a lot of people were 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 interested in. You know, coming from you know places around the world that you know maybe that is actually a means of of, of transportation um, for people. You know, in places like Mexico City or you know places like San Paulo or you know other other places around the world where people do move from rooftop to rooftop. So. So, I mean, it was definitely another very, you know, unique um, design element to the building that was something that, you know, no one else um, was able to offer. Now, I know I set the bar kind of high talking about the helipad first, <laughs> but are there any other, um, you know, world-class amenities that are that are kind of, you know, setting a, a benchmark? 
Yes. I mean, you know, like we, we made another sort of strategic decision and we took the top two floors of the building, uh, the top two floors of the tower, which would typically be reserved for, you know, some duplex penthouse or, you know, some, you know, very unique unit that someone might put at the top of the building. And we basically took the top two floors of the building and utilized that space to create what we call our sky lounge, which is essentially a, a sky lobby type space um, that can be used for special events that the residents may want to, um, you know, have in the, in the, uh, in the future for themselves. So it becomes sort of like their, you know, their event, private event area. That space has, you know, a large, uh, you know, space that could, you know, for a special event easily hold, you know, a couple hundred plus people overlooks the entire, you know, city of Miami, uh, city of Miami beach overlooks the bay, the ocean, you know, spectacular views, probably some of the best from downtown. Um, and also, um, on that level is a private screening room, a private dining room, a, uh, a, a caterer's kitchen and a indoor pool that overlooks the city to the West, which we call the aquatic center. So having that is a, you know, basically it's, you know, er everyone has access to the penthouse in the building, which, you know, which is a unique feature, not to mention, we've got other amenities at the base of the tower, um, which, which include, uh, you know, on the lobby level, we have sort of a business lounge area for the residents to use. Um, we have on premise a a private a bank vault on premise so that every resident has their own you know safe deposit box exactly like you'd find in you know in any financial institution um, that's secured for them right on the property we have sort of elevated level of security in the building because of the nature and profile of you know um, you know these global buyers from around the world and and we also have uh, you know on levels eight and nine of the building another pool which is uh, outdoor unlike the indoor pool at the top and a large fitness center and spa juice bar all sort of managed and operated um, you know by the you know by the condominium association management so something in this in this level of class with all of these amenities um, you know with the with these incredible units how how did you decide to pair up with um, with one Sotheby's international realty for, for the project so Sotheby's, you know, was a good choice for us in the very beginning of the project. We wanted to have uh, a firm as a brand, much like Zaha Hadid, that was recognized around the world and recognized for, you know, luxury properties, unique properties in any major market. And we felt that Sotheby's was one of those companies. Um, but we also wanted someone that really understood the Miami market. One Sotheby's, um, they've actually sort of grown their brand locally to really, you know, capture a lot of, um, you know, luxury, um, you know, luxury product in the entire South Florida market. But with the international reach of Sotheby's as a brand, we thought it was a very good fit for, again, adding, you know, more validity and credibility to a very ambitious project with 
an architect that was known around the world. So with this this prestigious project, um, you know, coming to a close and the units are starting to to be delivered to, you know, to customers now um, or to clients, excuse me. Uh, how do you envision, you know, that that 1000 Museum will will kind of change the face of Miami in the future? Well, look, we we, we really raised the bar in terms of delivering a, a building that has very unique architecture, very difficult to build. Um, obviously, we you know faced a lot of challenges along the way. Some you know some market fluctuations uh, during the cycle. Uh, you know, uh, an architect that as we were starting the project unexpectedly passed away. Um, project obviously was all designed at that point, but you know not having the architect that we started with sort of there to you know see the whole vision you know come to fruition you know obviously present presented some challenges um you know and but you know we were so so in terms of the 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 ultimate building that's been delivered it's very unique on the skyline it's you know super recognizable as as this new iconic landmark you know in the in the city of Miami and it's gotten a lot of global attention and as a and as a result um you know, all eyes are on this project and that comes with more eyes being on Miami. It's a, it's a, it's a project that other projects in Miami in the future will aspire to be. And I think that, you know, it just raises the bar and sort of elevates the future of, you know, sort of luxury design and, you know, high design architecture in a city that's truly become a global city that people from around the world continue to come to. Well, Lewis, thank you very much for taking the time to join me today. I'm going to include some links to uh, to 1000, uh, the 1000 Museum Tower in the show notes uh, so that people can can see all of the incredible things that um, you and the team have worked on. Thank you again so much for joining us. And uh, I'm going to let you go back to your day. <laughs> okay, thanks. I appreciate it. You know, let me know when you when you get into Miami and take you through the building. Awesome. Okay. All right, Eric. Thanks. Recently, Julie Leonhardt Latori, the Sotheby's International Realty Brand's Chief Operating Officer, sat down with Tracy Velt, Content Editor-in-Chief of Real Trends, to discuss how to recruit the next generation of sales associates. It's my pleasure to re-air that interview now. Enjoy. This is Tracy Velt, Content Editor-in-Chief of Real Trends. Today on our podcast, we're speaking with Julie Leonhardt Latori. She's the COO of Sotheby's International Realty Affiliates. Welcome, Julie. Hi, Tracy. Thanks, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do for Sotheby's? Sure thing. So actually, I have a very untraditional path to arrive where I did. I started as a high school teacher in Los Angeles right out of college for a number of years. I worked for a couple of nonprofits as a project manager and then wound up going to law school where I studied and then became a commercial real estate finance attorney on Wall Street for about six and a half years. I started in 2007, which if anyone remembers real estate in 2007, our clients were Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns. It was a challenging time for sure, but also a great education. Uh, and then I wound up here at one of the greatest you know, luxury real estate brands in the world. 
That's great. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit about the next generation of real estate agents. So tell me a little bit about who they are and what are some of the trends that you're seeing? Sure thing. So we're actually really excited about the future of real estate here and really excited about this next generation of agents. You know, we we have a deep heritage in our brand, which makes us very unique, but it's also really important to us to continually innovate and bring about new technologies and forward-looking marketing so that we really are the place where this next generation of top agents wants to start and grow their careers. Um, I actually had the chance to speak to some of our next generation agents. I got them together on a phone call and what we heard from a number of them um, is that, you know, they, they are growing percentage of our market, of our agent population. Uh, what I found it most interesting to learn is that they come from a lot of different backgrounds, as you would expect. Um, but a number of them actually went straight from college into real estate, which was surprising to me. I thought of it more as something that agents come to as a second career. Um, a number of them did come as a second career. We have one who was a Broadway performer, someone who was a political fundraiser. But one thing we heard over and over again was about the importance of relationships and how obviously relationships are at the center of our real estate transactions and what they do as advisors to their real estate clients. And a number of them who did come from other careers were able to take the relationships that they started in those careers and leverage them and bring them over into their real estate career. Um, For example, well, we actually, interestingly, a number of our next generation agents are some of our top performers. We have an agent, Jonathan Spears, at Phoenix Sotheby's International Realty down in Florida. He did $120 million in sales volume last year. He's number one in his market, and he's only 26 years old. So it's pretty incredible. Um, in addition to being you know, really professional and, and a great real estate agent, he really is personal. He thinks about those little things. Uh, he, we brought him here to do a video shoot. And after production, he sent a giant bouquet of flowers to everyone involved in the process. You know, those little gestures that really make um, people remember who you are. So we've got some really successful next generation agents in our network. Yeah, it's so interesting because you talk about how it's all about relationships for them. And most people would think the younger generation is all about hiding behind a screen. So do you find that they um, use technology differently than older generation agents? Yeah, you know, it is interesting because most folks do consider next generation agents, the millennial age group, to be resistant to face-to-face interaction. Um, we found it to be very, at least not for our population, and it may just be that the type of people who are, you know, real estate agents are more gregarious and outgoing Um but what we found is they, they take every opportunity to get together. We host a number of regional networking events around our network. And it's funny, I've run into some of the same younger agents over and over again in Denver, Vancouver, Austin, Miami, Boston. Uh, so they do get out there. They understand the importance of making those face-to-face relationships. With respect to the screens and the technology, they do use technology. And I think not surprisingly to any one. Most of them said that the platform of choice is Instagram. But what I've noticed, because I follow a number of them on, you know, on Instagram and a number of our more traditional agents as well, the younger agents tend to post a lot more about themselves, about their life, about their pets. Uh, they post inspirational quotes. 
uh, things about people who inspire them. So I think they post more things that are sort of about their more authentic self and who they are. And I think that for the younger generation, choosing someone to work with who they feel they know and they know what their values are and that they share something in common is really important to that younger generation of consumer. And I think that's where these agents are able to connect, use technology to make that initial introduction that then allows them to make those connections um, and build those relationships. So really the technology is serving the larger goal of building the relationship. Yeah, I see. I see that as well. Um, You talked a little bit about how this generation um, kind of wants something different than other generations. So let's talk a little bit about that. What are some of the differences and what are some qualities you're seeing in new agents? And are you seeing a difference internationally or just domestically? So I think we see pretty generally across the board uh, the same things domestically and internationally. It's interesting, you know, more and more global we become, those differences sort of fall away, um, and there are more similarities generationally. Um, You know, I do think that they brand matters. You know, we did a study with the Boston Consulting Group, um, and the research came back and says that brand does matter. So for a number of these agents, they think that's important part of growing their business is who they associate with. Uh, We did some research this year about our brand identity for the Sotheby's International Realty brand. And a couple of things came forward when we were thinking about why do people join the brand and, and especially these younger agents. And it came down to professionalism and trust the company we keep and being kick-ass and cool, believe it or not. (laughs) uh, Surprising, but really exciting for a heritage brand like ours. Um, So they do want the tools. They do want the brand. um, And, you know, we strive here to get the right mix of heritage and professionalism and innovation and forward-looking technology to try to get that, that right mix of what this next generation of agents is looking for. You know, it's interesting, Tracy, a lot of companies these days in real estate are calling themselves technology companies, and there's a lot of focus on technology. We think that technology is important, and we're always looking for the best technology to serve our agents or serve our clients. But we really do believe that technology should serve agents, not, you know, we don't think that it will ever replace agents. You know, these smart bots um, are not, they're smart, but they can't do relationships the way that our agents can do. But we're constantly looking for technology that will help to support the role of the agent and how they interact with their clients. Yeah, and that's a great way to look at technology. And I think people are coming around to that view of it as well. So let's talk about some specifics. Uh, What are some specific things that brokers in general, brokers, can do to attract the next generation of agents? Right. So this is important, obviously, because this is our future. So I think just like any agents, um, having a culture that people feel comfortable in, whatever that is for you, that's your culture. But I think generally having a place where people can um, be themselves, where you're authentic, where you get to know them, where they feel like there is some genuine sense of care, right? I think that's universal. Mm -hmm. That um, applies to all of us. I think that... um, You know, I would say to brokers, don't be afraid to take risks. I think this is a really interesting time in our industry. A lot of things are changing, um, and yet change is one of the things that people sort of fear most. But I think for brokers to be willing to take risks, 
to think about creative, innovative ways, whether it's the office space that they're keeping, maybe rethinking how they use office space or creating offices that might be multi-purpose, that might become places where people come in um, and are able to socialize, uh, whether it's the kind of technology or the marketing that they're doing. We've got people who use really creative ideas for marketing, things like um, bringing an artist in during an open house to draw people, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to walk through the property, things like that. So I think being, you know, being willing to take risks, to be creative um, and to allow this next generation as they come in to express themselves. And, you know, it's funny, people seem to get upset. They think millennials come in and think that they know everything and they and they they want to just do it their way. I think they understand the value of learning from others. They do want to learn. They want to be great at their profession. They do also want an opportunity to express themselves and what they think they bring. And I think that it would it really behooves brokers to not overlook that. Um, because we actually can learn a lot. They can bring kind of a fresh perspective and new way of doing things that could actually benefit the entire brokerage. Oh, definitely. So what can brokers do to help these agents grow? So I think like we, we touched, I touched a little bit on uh, the importance of education, especially mm -hmm. for, you know, younger agents, whether they're, you know, this is their first job or not. Um, you know, we don't technically have first time agents working with our brand. Um, it's kind of the place where people come later in their career that they sort of aspire to be. But there are people who have great books of business, great relationships, uh, you know, other reasons why it does make sense. Maybe they come from a real estate family, but they still have a lot to learn about the business itself. So I think it's important for brokers and companies to provide opportunities for education, um, you know, both formal education about the industry, but also an opportunity to share best practices with others and particularly others that are in markets like theirs or that are at a similar point in their career. So one thing that I'm really excited about that we've been able to do this year is we started a next-gen affinity group for our agents. And um, it's an opportunity for brokers to select sort of their up-and-coming, you know, best talent, next generation of agents to come together. We host networking events. Um, we do sort of trainings on the different tools and services that we offer and how to use them. And in fact, it gives them access to me and other members of the leadership team so they can really get, you know, sort of indoctrinated into the brand, inducted, if you will, um, and have the opportunity to learn from their peers and also from other agents who've been in the business longer who can help to continue that education for them. Yeah, that's a great retention tool. And are, are there any other like newer strategies for retaining the next generation of agents? And what should your strategy entail? Well, I think it's interesting. I think any sort of recruiting strategy is a retention strategy. You know, the same things that are going to attract these younger agents are going to keep them with you. And I don't think it's there isn't it's not gimmicky. It's not about, you know, having some secret plan. It's, it's those really basic things that we talked about a little bit around recruiting. Um, 
being authentic with people, you know, getting to know them, showing them that you care, that you know when their birthday is. Or, you know, we have we've one of our older brokers who says he hates being on social media, but he gets on there. He's he wishes every agent in his company a happy birthday. He you know, he knows what they're up to. It gives him a way to connect with people and know a bit more about them. And that goes a long way in life, anywhere in life, really. But in terms of retaining agents, they really they want to be somewhere where they feel good. They feel they belong. They feel like they're able to express themselves and they have what they need to get to that next level. So whether that's education, training, networking opportunities, right? The ability to learn from others around them. Um, and then of course, you've got to have the brand and the mark, you know, best in class marketing and all of those things as well. Um, to me, that's just, that's the entry point. Um, but the culture and the ability to, you know, be part of an important network and have opportunities to grow and learn, I think is especially important for this next generation of agents. They're just starting their career. They're just getting started and they can see how much they have ahead of them. And so they want, you know, the biggest kind of open road uh, with the most opportunity for them there. And, you know, something that does continue to grow and change. Um, you can't just create it once and then sit on that and be comfortable with that, right? Here we're constantly innovating and thinking about what's next. As soon as we do something, we're looking for what's the next thing. And I think that's important as well. That's the pace at which our world moves these days. And we have to keep pace with that world or we fall behind. Yeah, definitely. And and I completely agree with that connection between the broker and the agent and that a little appreciation goes a long way um, to keeping an agent happy as well, as long as they have the other things that you also recommended. I mean, they just well, expect to have those other things, whatever place they decide to be, right? They've gone there because mm -hmm. they think they that they do have those, the marketing, the brand, whatever it is. Um, but the personal bit is it's, it's not hard, but in our busy lives, it's really easy to overlook, but it's so simple. It takes, you know, two minutes of just calling someone out for a job well done. Um, and it can make a tremendous impact. Yeah, definitely. Well, Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Real Trends today. I really appreciate all of your insight about the next generation of real estate agents. Great. Thanks, Tracy. Don't forget to subscribe to the Reside by Sotheby's International Realty podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're craving more Reside, visit sotheby'srealty.com slash reside for more from this and previous issues of the magazine. Until next time.